Good morning. It's good to see you on this cold Sunday morning. Might be the coldest so far we've had, I'm not sure. I think it hit the close to the 20s last night. I've got a challenge for you this morning. If I were to ask you for one chapter in the Bible, just one, one chapter in the Bible where you can find all of the steps of salvation, could you find it? I want you to think about that this morning. One chapter, all five steps of the plan of salvation. It's coming. There we go. Whoops. There we go. Think about that. And while you're thinking, of course, we as Christians realize that uh, we should, like the noble Bereans, search the scriptures daily to see whether the things that we're being taught are so. That's uh, Acts 17, verse 11. And also, we are to study to show ourselves approved unto God, workmen that need not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, 2 Timothy 2, verse 15. And oftentimes that involves taking some verses here and taking some verses there and taking some verses here and putting all those verses together in order to find out what the entire Bible says about any given subject. We understand that and we need to do that when we study our Bibles. The Bible, in fact, is its own best commentary. So sometimes you read right here in the Bible and then you look and say, well, I need to go look at these verses over here, and that's going to provide me some, some supporting commentary to what I'm reading here. We understand that principle about studying God's Word. And we also understand that the sum of God's Word is truth, Psalm 119, verse 160. So you put it all together and study it properly that way. But there's also great value in studying the Bible in one particular context at a time, that is one chapter at a time or maybe one book at a time, etc. There's great value in studying the Bible that way also. And studying the Bible this way is, for one matter, it helps keep things in context, making sure that you're not ripping a verse out of its context and, well, it means this, but if you actually look at it in context, uh, no, that wasn't right. Sometimes that happens when you take just one verse here or one verse there. Now, Jesus took one verse here, one verse there sometimes, and the apostles did too. So there's nothing wrong with doing that as long as you keep things in their proper context. But sometimes it's helpful also to study entire chapters or entire books, etc. at a time. So keeping that in mind and keeping in mind the idea of a textual study such as this or an expository sermon where you go through an entire chapter and you just exposit the meaning of the chapter, keeping that in mind, that's what we're going to do this morning in this one chapter that has all the steps of the plan of salvation if we look for them. So, what chapter are we talking about? By the way... If you noticed in your bulletin this morning, you had this handout. And so that's for your notes this morning as we go through this chapter and we find all five steps of the plan of salvation. Now, if you got ahead of me and you said, well, I know all these and you jotted them down already, well, you got ahead of me because we want all verses 
pertaining to the plan of salvation from one chapter here. I know you can find them in many different places, but for our notes this morning, we want to look in one particular chapter. So what chapter is it? There might be several, I don't know, but there's one that I'm thinking of this morning, and that's Romans chapter 10. Let's explain. Romans chapter 10. If we look through this chapter very carefully, we can find them all. Okay. Now, three of them should jump out very quickly to you. Do you see three of them that are spelled out very easily? Look through the chapter, and you will see them. I'll give you a hint. Verses 9 and 10 and verse 17. Okay? Verses 9 and 10 and verse 17, these are the most obvious ones. These are explicitly stated right there. There are a couple others that are implied. Okay? It's a little bit of a trick question kind of thing going on. But if we look carefully, we will find the other two implied very heavily in this chapter. Let's go ahead and study Romans chapter 10. In verses 1 through 4, we're going to notice Israel's need to accept Christ. Now, what does Paul deal with in the book of Romans? Well, he deals with the problem of sin. He deals with the fact that that, uh, Gentiles have sinned, chapter 1. He deals with the fact that Jews, they sin too, chapter 2. All have sinned, chapter 3, and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3, verse 23. He deals with Romans 1 verse 5, the obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, and also the gospel of Christ that he wasn't ashamed of, and it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile, Romans 1 verse 16. He also deals with, in this book, Romans 3 verse 22, the righteousness of God through faith, in Jesus Christ. Notice he does not say belief only, by the way. He says through faith in Jesus Christ. And if you understand what he means by faith in this book, it will help you out greatly uh, in studying this. So that's what uh, Paul is dealing with in the book of Romans. And we get to Romans chapter 10, and Paul is dealing with the fact that Israel, for the most part, has not accepted Christ. Now, there were some who did, But for the most part, Israel has rejected Christ. And so verses 1 through 4, he deals with the fact that Israel needs to accept Christ. Paul had already said in chapter 9, verses 2 and 3, that he greatly sorrowed over Israel's rejection of Christ. And he wished himself, or he could wish himself, accursed so that his kinsmen, according to the flesh, might be saved. Now, what kind of love did Paul have for his countrymen? That is a tremendous love that he had for them, so much that he could just about wish himself accursed so that they could be saved. Now, look at verse number 1 here in chapter 10. Verse 1 says, Brethren, speaking to his Jewish brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. So is this chapter going to deal with salvation? It is. He wants Israel to be saved. Verse number 2, For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Zeal is great. 
Zeal is important. We need to be zealous for God, but it has to be a zeal that is according to knowledge. And where do we get knowledge? We get it from His Word. That is where we get the knowledge for God. The entire outlook of the Jews who had not accepted Christ, their entire outlook was wrong. Because who are they looking for? They're looking for someone to come down and to depose Rome and to set up some sort of uh, earthly reincarnation of the glory days of David and Solomon. They want to see some sort of uh, physical kingdom on earth. Now, Jesus did set up a kingdom which was a spiritual kingdom, his church, but that's not what they were looking for. The Jews were looking to somebody who was going to say, down with Rome and let's set up uh, the nation of Israel to its former glory once again. That's what they were looking for. And so when the Messiah did come, Jesus Christ, and he was born there in Bethlehem, a, a helpless babe, as we might sing sometimes in, in a song about Christ, it's not what they expected. They expected somebody coming with a sword and, and we're going to take down this empire that is controlling us. They didn't want uh, this meek and gentle servant that Jesus was. Well, look at verse number 3. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God. They were ignorant of the righteousness that God accepts. They tried to make it all about themselves. In so doing, it was all about them, and they get caught up in the Judaism of their fathers. Even though Jesus had nailed the old law to his cross, Colossians 2 verse 14, taking it out of the way, they were still hung up on that old law, and they were trying to continue in that old law that was no longer applicable. They did not accept Christ. They did not believe that he was the Messiah because he didn't come and do the things that they were expecting. And so they were not following God's righteousness. They were seeking out their own version of righteousness. And they were wrong. Look at verse number 4. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. That is, Christ was the end goal of the law. When you read your Old Testament, everything points to Christ. Everything points to the Messiah that was coming. And when we look at all the prophecies that were made, they found their fulfillment in Jesus Christ. And the Jews should have known this. If they were intimately familiar with the law, the law of Moses, then it would have led them to Christ in his law, the law of Christ, if they would have been uh, paying better attention, we might say. So that's verses 1 through 4. And in verses 5 through 13, we're going to see man's duty to accept the gospel. And so we want to start nailing down these steps of the plan of salvation in just a moment. But look at verse number 5. Verse number 5. For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law, 
the man who does those things shall live by them. He's quoting from Leviticus 18, verse 5. And so the point, even back during the time of Moses, was that you had to live out the proper way of life according to what God has given you to live out, even back then. And we can also look at uh, James 1, verses 22 through 25. Take a look at that later on. We are to continue in that perfect law of liberty that we are under today. And we're not to be a hearer only, but a doer of that law. James 1, verses 22 through 25. And so we are to live it out. By the way, I don't, I've just got the five steps here, but sometimes we bring in a sixth step, which is to live faithfully. Well, there's live faithfully right there in verse number five. You've got to live faithfully as a Christian. Look at verses six and seven. But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down from above, or who will descend into the abyss, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. In other words, righteousness by faith does not involve some heroic, epic deed such as this, such as, well, I've got to ascend into heaven and bring the Son of God down, or I've got to ascend down into the grave and bring the Son of God back up. Why do I not have to do that? Because that was Jesus' part. That's what Jesus did. Jesus came down and he lived among us and he lived that perfectly sinless life and he fulfilled everything that he had to fulfill. He obeyed the Father's will. He humbled himself. He became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, and then he rose again. That was Jesus' part in the plan of salvation. We don't have to do his part, but we do have our part to play. We have to accept what he did for us. And so that's verses 6 and 7. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that is, the word of faith which we preach. The power of the gospel as it pertains to our part, what is needed for salvation, it's found in the word of God, and how do we fulfill our part in that? We proclaim it, we preach it, and we've got to accept it ourselves as well. We accept the word of God as it pertains to this wonderful gospel message, and we also proclaim it and preach it. And so what's he going to bring in here? He's going to bring in confession, proclaiming our faith in Christ. He's going to bring in that faith, that belief in Christ in verses 9 and 10. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. You see hearing there, we'll get to that in a moment, and then you also see belief and confession right here, 9 and 10 and 11, and also a few other verses there with belief. 
We use our mouth to confess Christ. We use our heart to believe in Him. And that is what we confess. We confess that belief that takes place in our heart. If we're willing to do those things, will we end up being saved? Well, sure. If we're willing to believe on Him and confess Him, it says right here that's what leads to salvation, but it's not the only things. Our friends who take these two verses and only these two verses and they take them out of context and they say these are the only two things you need to be saved, they're taking it out of context, they're leaving out the rest of it. And as we're going to see in the rest of this chapter, the rest of it's here. If we look closely, if we look hard enough, we'll see the rest of it. But we, if we believe in Christ and if we're willing to confess Him, are we going to be willing to do the other things? Absolutely. And we can be Saved. Isaiah 28 verse 16 says, Whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. And he's referencing that here. This is your belief. This is your confession in the plan of salvation. Verse number 11. For the scripture says, Whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Let's keep reading though. Verse number 12. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon his name. And this is an important point. There's no more distinction between Jew and Gentile in the New Testament. That distinction, that system, that old law, it's been done away. And we have been brought nigh, we have been brought together. Look at the book of Ephesians, and you can see that. Jew and Gentile brought together into one body which is his church today. That's verse 12. Verse number 13. Verse 13. Baptism, right here. Now, you you have to know something about the rest of the scriptures to find baptism here, but I guarantee you it's here. Let's explain. Verse 13. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Go back to the Old Testament. You look at Joel, chapter 2, verse 32. Joel giving a prophecy of this coming kingdom. In that day, your young men will see, will dream dreams, and your old men will see visions, etc. That's a prophecy in Joel, chapter 2. He's saying, look, this is coming a day when the Christ will set up his kingdom. Acts, chapter 2, Peter quotes from that. And he says, look, this is what Joel was talking about way back in the prophecy of Joel. Acts 2 and verse 21, guess what? Peter says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Quoting from Joel. Here in Romans chapter 10, Paul says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And the question is, Paul... How do you do that? Well, that's a valid question. Paul, how do you call on the name of the Lord? Well, well, here's how Paul did it, Acts 22, verse 16. Ananias told him, Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. That's baptism right here in Romans chapter 10. It's implied. He doesn't say word-for-word baptism, but it is implied based on what we know, the meaning 
of calling on the name of the Lord is. Verse 13. Keep reading. Verses 14 through 21, we're going to see the need for gospel preaching and obedience to it. Verses 14 to the end of the chapter. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? There's your hearing in verse 14. It's coming up again in verse 17. How can they call on the name of the Lord if they haven't believed on him? And how can they believe on him if they haven't heard of him? And how can they hear of him without a preacher? And I am tasked with the wonderful task of proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ so that people can hear what God expects of them so that they can be saved. Whether we're talking about from a pulpit such as this or whether we're talking about you taking the gospel message to your friends, to your family, to your co-workers, how will they hear and how will they believe unless they have someone to take the message to them? Very important for us to remember that we must evangelize the lost. Verse number 15, And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. That's the gospel. Wonderful, good, glad tidings, wonderful things. Not everybody has the means, by the way, to go to Africa or to go to Panama or to go to Poland or Nicaragua or India and proclaim the gospel. Not everybody has the means to be able to do that, but everybody can help send. Everybody can help send the light to those places, and we need to do that, and we always need to remember the importance of that good mission work, and I'm so thankful that we support so many good mission works here uh, in Marietta. We can send. We can send the light. There's another song that we sing, Here Am I, Send Me, too. Some of us can go and, and do those, those various mission works. Verse number 16. Verse number 16. Baptism's right here too. Verse number 16. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. Paul is lamenting the fact that not everyone has obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report. Two things here. Number one, baptism's right here. 1 Corinthians 15 verses 1 and following teaches us that the gospel is the good news of the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And how do we come into contact with the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Romans chapter 6 and Colossians chapter 2, baptism. It's heavily implied here. It doesn't spell baptism out right there in the verse word for word, but it's heavily implied if you know the meaning of obeying the gospel. That's point number one from verse 16, but point number two is notice that he equates obedience and belief in this verse, doesn't he? Obedience and belief, he equates together. He, he joins them together. You can't have one without the other. If you believe, you will obey. 
And of course, if you're obeying, it's because you believe. We see that right here in verse 16. They have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report. If you believe, you'll obey. Verse number 17. So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And anytime we mention the plan of salvation, usually that's the first one in the list. Romans 10, 17. So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Belief in the gospel and obedience to it, what's it dependent on? The word of God. It's dependent on the word of God. Verses 18 through 21, we'll read through these last few verses more quickly. What is the point of these last several verses? Let's read verses 18 through 21. But I say... Have they not heard? Well, yes, indeed. Their sound has gone gone out to all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. The gospel had been taken all over. People had their chance to hear it. He says here in verse 18, But verse 19, I say, Did Israel not know? First, Moses says, I will provoke you to jealousy by those who are not a nation. I will move you to anger by a foolish nation. God is provoked to anger, to jealousy, because of this rejection that is taking place. Make no mistake about it. Verse number 20, But Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I was made manifest to those who did not ask for me. Not all Jews... But by and large, most Jews, unfortunately, they were looking for something else. They didn't accept Jesus. And what do they say in the book of Acts? Here we turn to the Gentiles. And a lot of them accepted Christ. Now, there's plenty of Gentiles who didn't accept Christ either. But a lot of them did. Verse number 21, But to Israel, he says, All day long, I've stretched out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. God sorrows over the fact that his own special people, his chosen people of the Old Testament, rejected his son. So many of them did. Some of them accepted him, but sadly so many did not. And it's sorrow to him, to his heart. Let's review. We've seen hearing, chapter 10, verses 14 and 17 through 18. We've seen belief, chapter 10, verse 4, verses 9 through 11, verse 14, verses 16 and 17. Belief is all over it. We've seen confession. Chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, and we've even seen heavily implied baptism, verses 13 through 16. Someone says, well, what about repentance? I don't see it. I don't see it anywhere. Where's repentance? The entire chapter. It's all over it. What is Paul's point in this chapter? 
he is lamenting the fact that these Jewish brethren have not accepted Christ. And he's wishing so much so that they will repent and that they will accept Christ. Romans chapter 10 is your repentance. One chapter, all five steps of the plan of salvation and even living faithfully as well in Romans chapter 10. Why will this help us? If you're coming across day-to-day conversations with those who believe that all you have to do is believe, all you have to do is believe and, and, hey, make this confession and say this prayer. That's all you have to do. And they take you to Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. What can you do? Because you know better. You can show them all the rest of the plan of salvation right here in Romans chapter 10. That's the lesson for this morning. We have opportunity right now to respond in obedience to his gospel that we have talked about today. If you've never obeyed his gospel, you can do that this very moment. Repenting of your sins, confessing Christ, being baptized into Christ, you can do that this very moment. Your sins will be washed away. Again, Acts 22, verse 16. If you've never done that, please do that. If you need to come for any other reason, we ask that you please come as together we stand and as we sing.